0: It used to be Richard Beamer. You're listening to Twin Peaks Unwrapped. Welcome to Twin Peaks Unwrapped. I'm your host, Ben Durant, and beside me is... Brian Kazaska. How's it going, Ben? It's going well. We got another community rewatch. We are, we are madmen, and <laughs> we are crazy. We're going to do another four episodes. We're getting closer to June with the 30th anniversary of the last episode. So here is our panel. Hello, this is Sandy Bentley. Hello, this is Josh Minton.
1: And this is Courtney Stallings. And here's the Unseen Players.
2: Hey everybody, this is John Salinas from the Hellboy Book Club Podcast. And today I'll be playing Jerry Horn, Andy Brennan, and
3: narrating one of the scenes.
4: Hi, this is Sophia Koukis, reading the part of Catherine.
3: Hey, Twin Peaks Unwrapped Multiverse, it's Bill Abelson. I'm doing Andrew Packard, Resurrected, and narrator in The Rowboat Scene. Was Annie's boy John Justice Wheeler? Was it johnny horn
5: hi i'm joyce picker and i'm playing lucy and narrator
6: hello this is chris matthews i'll be doing the roles of thomas eckhart and narrator
5: i'm caitlin
4: and i'll be playing the narrator
5: hi this is kathy caitlin's mom and i'll be playing jones and the operator
7: hi this is bob clear known to some of the tpu crew as killer robert I'm reading parts for Deputy Hawk and for a Pine Weasel-focused Ben Horn.
8: Hi, this is Katie Rorty, and I'll be playing Audrey Horn and the narrator.
9: Hello, this is Andy Bentley. I will be playing Bobby and a certain wine connoisseur, also named Andy.
10: Hi, I'm Robin Lynn Norris, and I'm playing Audrey and the narrator.
11: Hi, I'm Peter Holland and I'm playing Cooper. My name is Colt Wilson. I'm playing Sheriff Harry Truman.
4: Hey, this is Julia Rollo and I'm playing
5: Josie and the narrator. This is Diane Nelson I'm a narrator and Annie. Hi, my name is Yvette, and I'm reading narrator and Lana. This is Diana Stavrilakis, and I'll be playing the part of the indomitable Catherine Martel. My name
12: is Maya Adkins, and I'll be playing Annie Blackburn. Hey
13: everybody, this is Marcel Fraser, and I'll be playing Dick Tremaine.
12: Well,
0: this is great. I'm so
12: glad to have you all on together. I don't think
0: we've ever all been together. I imagine Courtney and Josh, you guys know each other well, I imagine, because it's through Scott Ryan. Well,
14: we've all stayed together in the same apartment, like old hippies in Uh. uh, in London when we were there. And uh, Courtney was one of the very first correspondents for the Red Room, so
0: we've known each other for years and years. That's right. That's so cool. You're right. There would be, I don't remember, it was like a university and they had a panel of. Twin Peaks actors and writers and Courtney you got the scoop didn't you?
1: Yeah the University of Southern California in 2013 did a retrospective covering all first two, first two seasons of Twin Peaks and Fire Walk With Me over a period of five months and it was for USC film students but it was open to the public and I covered it for the Red Room podcast.
0: That's so awesome. So that's, we're covering four episodes and, you know, I'm calling the first episode, episode 23, The Condemned Woman. This is the episode that Josie dies. So, I mean, that's how I remember it. And I also remember it as the one episode I missed in the original run. You know, I mean, I, it, it's like blasphemy. How could I miss an episode? <laughs> And actually, it was like a high school dance or something, and I decided to go to it. And I, I think with the Gulf war, and there was so much going on, I don't even think they, I knew that it aired and stuff until afterwards. And I don't think it was until like VHS tapes that
9: I got to see this episode. So what an episode to miss. I remember I would tape uh, Buffy, and my VHS didn't go off. And I ran home, and I just turned on at the end, and it was her swapping bodies with Faith. And I was like, wait, wait what? And you know, back then, there was no way to get hope for the summer. It would show up again.
0: Yeah, with hope. Yeah. Andy, do you want to tell us what interests you about this episode? I'm sure a lot of
9: people are going to talk about the ending with uh Josie. I say tangentially to that. When you've kind of been a part of a fandom, you think you've seen it all, but then you get this one thing where it's like, whoa, I didn't actually know that. For me, it was finding out Richard uh Bramer that he <laughs> photographed Josie's body double in that all night taping. That was the one Twinspeak fact where it was like, I thought I knew everything, and then suddenly there was this little extra gem that really, you know, made you think.
0: Yeah, you wonder where that would have gone.
9: The only other thing is you can clearly tell it's like, all right, we need to get the three actresses something to do when they're putting together the uh, pieces of paper and, you know, everything.
2: Blue Pine Lodge, morning. Andrew Packard and Catherine Martell sit at the kitchen table, sipping
3: coffee.
5: What's happening with Ghostwood?
3: I spoke with our investors. The meeting's set. I fly to Paris tomorrow.
5: Andrew, I've been thinking about a shopping mall.
3: Near the industrial park?
5: No, right next to the Great Northern, adjacent to the new hotel I want to build.
3: (laughs) I'm sure Ben will appreciate the competition.
5: I think it's the least I can do, don't you?
2: Catherine pauses and peers out the window.
5: Oh, good. Company.
2: The back door opens, And Josie walks in, carrying a bundle of kindling. She stops cold, staring at Andrew. It can't be. She drops the wood and moves closer, eyes wide with horror.
3: Dear Josie, I'm home. Did you miss me?
2: Josie passes out cold. Neither Andrew or Catherine move. (laughs)
3: She, She seems surprised.
5: Poor thing. Couldn't even pull off a simple murder.
3: She has her charms, though.
5: True, but not for long.
15: I actually thought this was
14: an interesting cut. For me, it's always interesting because you think about them in the cutting booth, like, ah, we got to shave, you know, 47 seconds off of this so we can get that extra commercial in there. So this is one of those ones that kind of convinced me, like, yeah, you could tighten that up. You know, if it were a paragraph, you could take a couple of phrases out of that. And I feel like that was, that was what they did here.
0: Yeah. I like the line that Catherine said she wanted to uh, make a shopping mall. <laughs> and I think... I think she wanted a hotel next to the Great Northern. How can we get back at Ben? (laughs) I
1: I love that line. I love how, like, devious Catherine Martell is. And, like, she's this, like, businesswoman, and she's tough. And I I love her um, dynamic with her brother in the scene, too.
14: I I guess if I I was thinking about why they pulled back on the economic stuff, you know, that idea of, of having a competing hotel, it's really interesting considering what Ghostwood ends up becoming, which is a private prison. You know, that, that idea of, it's throughout Twin Peaks, by the way, that idea mm. of abusing the land to turn it into a commercial um, real estate venture. It's, it's in the pilot and it goes all the way through, I would say, till the very end of, you know, Jerry Horn's storyline, certainly. So it's interesting to see them pull back on that from a network television perspective, but yet they went kind of all in on it <laughs> in yeah. the showtime version.
0: Yep. And you're talking about Mark Frost's book, The Land Became a Prison.
5: Great Northern Hotel, Day. Thomas Eckhart hands his assistant, Jones, a stack of cash. Her suitcase is open on the bed.
6: The entire amount.
5: Jones reacts, pleased.
6: I trust you'll finish the job, regardless of what happens tonight.
5: Eckhart catches Jones' hand as she takes the money.
6: Surely you of all people know what happens when my trust is violated.
5: He pulls a garrot out of her bracelet, wraps it around her wrists kisses her
6: check out drive north for a day i'll wrap up my affairs and be gone by morning come back tomorrow night and finish up
5: jones smiles yes sir this
0: is with Eckert and jones so this is actually is a deleted scene this didn't make it into the show
14: is this the lady who played sue ellen mischi in seinfeld is this the same lady that jones is right (laughs) okay so i liked her character a lot uh, this I thought was completely out of place, given how well they introduced her and used her in the next couple episodes. So I'm a big fan of of cutting this particular scene.
0: Yeah, because this scene really kind of sets it up. Say you have a job to do, and here's the money. And wait, right, in, in the show it was so mysterious where she goes to Truman, and all of a sudden she's choking him. And yeah, I agree. It's, but it was interesting. And they have like, such a com- complicated relationship because he's like. At one point, they kiss, and I don't know what their relationship is. But at the same time, he seems like he kind of a violent relationship. It's it's an odd relationship.
14: Well, you mean Josie had a pretty terrible relationship with him as well. I mean, like these yeah. call girls, assassins, spies—like they could have had their own show, really. It's like an alias or something, you know? <laughs> that, that idea of of who this girl was—an alternate Josie, a white Josie—you know, inside of the show, coming to kind of be the second second assassin. I thought it was pretty cool, actually.
1: Yeah, and I think, I think you're right. I think the less we know about her, the more, because she's such a small character anyway, and I think the more interesting she is and um, how she kind of functions. So I, I can see why this the scene was cut, that we, we don't know as much about her, her dynamic with Eckhart or what she's doing and all that.
0: Courtney, what is something that interests you about this episode?
1: Well, I'm going to go really minor um, because I feel like there's so much you can say about this episode. and I'd love to I could talk forever about Joan Chen and Josie, but I love the concierge when Audrey, um, you know, Audrey is at the Great Northern and she's trying to do the different roles. And she goes to the concierge, and, the, and I don't know the actor's name, but the man who plays the concierge is like, I, you know, I'm going to have a salty tear in my eye. And he's like, maybe your next stint will be in, in the housekeeping.
16: <laughs> and I just,
1: I love this minor character, because he kind of puts her in, a, in her place, even though she's like, you know, she's Audrey Horn. And I just, I think he's hilarious. I love, you know, season two doesn't get enough credit for those like little tiny things that happen that are so great and funny. And um, I just, I love that concierge.
0: You really could have done so, so much more. I mean, you could do a whole show just with the Great Northern because there are some really interesting characters there. And then you think about all the different people that come there and the guests and you have cheerleaders coming by and the bands. But you could have had a, a whole big storyline just on, in the Great Northern. But Yeah, there's a very shining element to it, right? That idea yeah. of this haunted
14: hotel that's haunted by the, the ghosts of the past.
6: Right. Love it. Interior, Ben Horn's office. Day. Order has been restored. Around the conference table are the great Northern board members, Ben, Audrey, and Jerry, who is making black olive paste canapes. John Wheeler sits down between Bobby and Audrey. Audrey takes a wary look at the stranger. Wheeler returns a smile. Jerry passes his canapes around, and Ben clears his throat, begins.
7: I've asked Mr. Wheeler to our board. Years ago, I invested in him, a pittance he built into an empire. I take no credit. But I believed in Jack, even when he was just another local boy pounding nails. I have asked him to return the favor by believing in me
6: now. Wheeler nods assent. Ben pauses with requisite drama, at least long enough for Jerry to finish chomping on a rather hefty canopy, and begins.
7: Horn Industries Incorporated have fallen on hard times. The Mill and Ghostwood Lands are now solely owned by Catherine Martell. We don't begrudge her the mill it was and is after all hers but we sweated blood to make ghostwood ours for a doggone decade retail revenues at the department store are down 14 percent, and as for the hotel well
2: let's just say it's off season
7: and leave it at that
2: ben over in sicily i had this marketing brainstorm we set up a special package deal Twin Peaks, land of crime. See where Laura Palmer was murdered. See where her body was found. Visit Maddie Ferguson's final resting place. I call it the Homicide Gateway. Everyone looks
6: at Jerry like he's lost his mind.
7: Thank you, Jer. We'll put it on the agenda for further review. But in spite of these reversals, stripped of the trappings of success, what are we left with? The human spirit. I've been taking a good hard look at my own soul and I've decided it's high time Ben Horn gave something back to society. Ben, not the hotel. No, not the hotel. What's the greatest gift one human being can give to another? The future.
6: Ben goes over to a draped easel in the corner and removes the cloth, revealing a large Audubon style drawing of a Weasel. I give you the pine weasel,
7: found only in our tri-county area, targeted by the Environmental
2: Defense League and the Wilderness Society, nearly extinct. They're incredible roasted. A ginger and garlic marinade, a glass of Sauvignon Blanc. According to an environmental impact report I commissioned, what
7: few pine weasels remain will be all but wiped out by the Packard plans for Ghostwood development. You wanna save the Pine Weasel? Not just the Pine Weasel. Life as we know it. I want Twin Peaks to remain unspoiled in an era of vast environmental carnage.
8: But development is progress, people, money.
7: Not always.
17: Ben, if if I could interrupt. Please, Jack. What Ben's talking about is quality of life, something we don't consider much in the business world. It's my experience that a corporation like Horn Industries is not just a vehicle for making money, but for expressing values, too.
2: Audrey
6: looks at Wheeler, irked by the interruption.
2: Interested, too. So we block Catherine's development until the wheel turns and we get another shot. Brilliant, Ben. Brilliant.
7: I intend to fight Ghostwood development on every ground with every available weapon. This little weasel is about to become a household word. Then what? I'm considering a run for the Senate.
14: When you look back at Jerry and Ben Horn, at this point, they had so little redeeming qualities. I mean, they were essentially child molesters first of all mm. second of all they were unscrupulous businessmen who took advantage of the the natural world around them as well as tried to tried to get an angle on every single person except for the other one just it's a real hard redemption story for these two i think at this point that's
0: what hit me Jerry he goes into twin peaks he's a here that we have got a special package deal here twin peaks land of crime see where laura palmer was murdered see the body mentioning maddie and all this and you know it's a get getaway but the sad thing is like this is 30 years ago this is something that really is is around now. Like these are, you know, there's packages out there. Murder for Hire podcast. I mean like that. Jerry's line is just, it's hilarious <laughs> because he goes out there and he kind of brings in Laura Palmer. Sometimes I, I feel like these characters forget anything happened. A lot of times we're just moving on to other storylines. Like he's like, you know, there was just a murder last week. You're like, are we not
9: <laughs> shocked by that at all? Yeah, Sometimes when Heather Graham brings it up, it feels like the first time it's been in the front of season two in a long time, Josh, what
14: interests you about this episode? Yeah, I mean I, I, said so that idea again of bringing the girls together, you know, I know it was a little silly and, and contrite, but I think it was really important. I haven't seen these episodes in probably seven years, so I've been living up wow. season three's butt for so long. it was kind of refreshing to get back and actually hear the music and you know seeing Kenneth Welsh after meeting him a few years ago like that's that that's him that's that guy you know, it's his spirit he brought that right into the role. Um, I really loved his his performance. And this is the end, if I if I'm correct, the end of the the Donna or the James and Evelyn story. Because I mean yeah. Donna have yeah. a whole That's a blessed moment in Twin Peaks when that storyline <laughs> ends today. that's really that's really a mercy that the writers had on the on the viewer there.
15: After five the picnic, episodes
14: or so we had. Oh with my them. lord. Yeah, that was they they really stretched the the limits of, of loyalty there.
15: But I think the
14: picnic scene was actually beautiful. As mm. I was looking at it on the widescreen, it was just like that. It was framed and filmed. It was a silly scene, but it just was gorgeous uh, up, on, up on the screen. So I really liked that. Last thing that I noticed was Cooper actually sees Bob and the little man from another place. He actually sees them in the room. Mm. So it's, it's not a dream. It's not like it's a legit uh, hallucination or a blending of this dream world and, and the reality. I think that was that's really important. That's an important moment. It struck out to me at least.
0: It sets up season yeah. three in some ways because we have uh, you know Dougie and uh, the one on my end kind of communicating through you know two different worlds. Yeah, it,
15: that, that last scene is like, it brings it back. We're going, it's like, we're kind of going back to season one, the beginning of season two, where all that stuff was just forgotten about for so long. So That's an interesting scene too. It always, it's, it plays weird. It always played weird for me, but with season three, I think it plays better. But when I first saw it, I was just like, shouldn't they be in the red room? This is, yeah. it feels like you're not abiding by your own rules that you've laid out for us. But then with season three, there is that rule breaking. Uh So I guess it. I guess going back now, it makes more sense.
0: I mean, yeah, the little man from another place dancing on the bed seemed out of—it just seemed place. way out of place for me. I mean, I think yeah. if you could have made a hole and you could have seen that, you could have like he, the little man from another place, could have still been in the red room and somehow in that space. I think it would have felt a little better. But
15: yeah, it it reminds me of how you told me the last episode with the dentist and how the spoilers—we haven't
0: gotten there yet. But how they
15: were going to make Bob a dentist. So I kind of feel like the writers are like, how can we be Lynch without, but our own version of that. And it, it just doesn't land, you know, like I think we would have been crazy if we saw Bob as a dentist, you know, that would have been very bizarre.
0: Yeah. I don't know if that was their way of trying to scare us or trying to, you know, things that are uncomfortable. We don't like dentists. So, but that's, that's, that's for another show. I know, I know. <laughs>
4: interior great northern dining room night ben goes to the kitchen to save jerry from getting stabbed by the cook audrey turns to wheeler fixes him with a level stare she's determined to remain unimpressed and she won't call him jack
10: so which is it mr wheeler are we bankrupt or just failing
17: i'm here to do an old friend a favor
10: my father's friends are rarer than the pine weasel
17: ben was once a very good friend to me
10: and so you came to bring us all up to speed. You are Santa Claus, Mr. Wheeler. I better hang my stocking.
17: You don't like me much, do you, Audrey?
10: I don't have an opinion either way. But if you did? If I did, I'd say that the Horns have managed to take care of themselves just fine for more years than you can count. And desperate, though we may seem, we will probably continue to do so in the foreseeable future.
4: Audrey's matching his direct tone, adding a little bit of her father's flamboyance. She waits for Wheeler to respond, react, a beat, and he begins to laugh. (laughs) What's so funny?
17: I was just remembering. Heidi. It's no big deal.
10: Heidi again. I was ten. I don't know what that has to do with anything.
17: Somehow Ben convinced Pete Martell to play the goat. He had these horns on, and you know Pete, he would bleed and bad to wake the dead, loud enough that we couldn't hear poor Heidi's lines, so he kicked him. Hard. Right where he lives, as I recall.
10: <laughs> I didn't mean to hurt him.
17: And Pete started yelling even louder. For real this time, and precious, innocent little Heidi turned to the audience, pigtails and deep, dark eyes, and smiled. 10 years old and you made it very clear. Don't tread on me. Sorry. It's just that a minute ago, I was starting to feel like one of Heidi's goats. Sparked a memory.
10: Where have you been all this time? I mean, when you weren't rescuing widows and orphans and making our world a better place to live in.
17: The far corners of the earth. It's glorious out there, Audrey. But all in all, it's nice to be back home.
4: Wheeler says it simply, without effect. Audrey's never met a man like him before, with a single exception, Asian Cooper. And that goes straight to the heart of her.
10: I'm only 18. Excuse me? Nothing. I, um, look at the time. Tell my father, okay? I've got an appointment. See ya,
4: Jack. Flustered, not sure exactly what she's feeling, Audrey makes a sudden exit. Wheeler sits back, as fascinated now as he was back then, and watches her go.
0: Originally, Wheeler sees Audrey at the Great Northern, and he says, I remember you, you were Heidi, and stuff. And this scene actually explains more about Heidi. But I guess it shows how strong Audrey is. Like, she was tough, even as a young girl. She's going to be heard. I want Audrey to be happy. I
14: hated the John Justice Wheeler story the first time I watched the show. It was total, Mm -hmm. like, it threw it. But... This time I kind of looked at it through that lens of, you know, I have to look through the returns lens and that idea of this lady's finally happy. Like she had a chance right here to be happy. And, and, um, somehow that got, I got thrown off track. Uh, I was really rooting for her. Yeah.
1: Too. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I, I know a lot of people wanted to have, get Audrey and Cooper to get together. Talked about this before. I think that would have been really problematic because of the conflict of interest of the case, and also the age difference and power dynamic, and and but I understand why people wanted that. I mean, I to, they had such great chemistry. I get it. And, uh, but I, I love, and I, I kind of felt that way about the relationship originally too. I was like, who is this guy coming in? Um, but the more I watch it, the more I'm like, oh, they, they really are good for each other. They really are a match. They have this history since they were kids and you know, she's really showing her power around
8: him. And I, I don't know, I, I like their dynamic now. Great Northern lobby, night. Sheriff Truman strides through the lobby over to the house phone. He picks it up.
11: Agent Cooper, please.
8: Cooper's room. Cooper's loading his pistol. The phone rings. He uncoils, answering it.
18: Cooper? Yes, Catherine. No, I was just on my way out there. She's here now? Thomas Eckhart. All right.
8: Truman is still on the phone. I'm sorry, that line is still busy. Truman hangs up and heads for the elevators. Hotel corridor. Cooper walks down a hall and around a corner. We hear shouting. Cooper moves more quickly. Cooper now stands outside the door. (laughs) cooper kicks the door open just as a shot is fired josie lying on the bed with eckert both faces frozen eyes wide open it's not clear who's done what to whom eckert rises from the bed starts towards cooper a knife in his hand then cooper sees the blood seeping from a wound in his chest eckert stops josie pulls her arm out from under the covers pointing the smoking gun at cooper eckert collapses josie holds the gun on cooper She's wearing traditional Chinese peasant clothes that are half open, half off. No makeup. Looking more like the girl she used to be. He tried. He tried to kill me.
18: Is that what you'll say about me? Josie, I'm not armed.
8: Behind Cooper, Truman steps through the open door, unseen, but listening.
18: What about Jonathan? Was he trying to kill you too?
8: He was taking me back. Truman draws his gun.
18: And me. Why did you shoot me, Josie?
8: You asked too many questions. I knew this day was coming. I won't go to jail. I can't. Truman steps out into the room, points his gun at Josie. Put
11: it down, Josie.
8: Josie can't bear to look at Truman. Tears roll down her face, but the gun holds steady.
11: Put. It. Down.
8: Harry, forgive me. I had no right to hurt you. She cocks the gun, still pointed at Cooper. Truman cocks his own gun.
11: I'm begging you, don't make me do this.
8: She looks at him one more time, whispers goodbye. She turns the gun on herself. Her hands start shaking. She exhales sharply, twice. Her body seizes up and she collapses on the floor. Truman rushes to her.
11: Josie? Josie!
8: Truman turns to Cooper. She's dead. Cooper looks at them and senses something more. Josie and Truman disappear. A bright light appears in the room. In a hole, in that light, Cooper sees the little man from his dream, dancing by, then replaced by the face of Bob, laughing demonically. That image fades... Truman reappears, kneeling down, holding the body of Josie. Cooper continues to watch them, trying to make sense of what he's seen. Drifting over to a chest of drawers, settling on a circular drawer pull, the grain of the wood seems to waver momentarily and shift, and in it, we see the tortured screaming features of Josie.
0: I think the big thing out of this is that uh, it explains a little bit more why Josie wanted to kill Cooper. And she's saying, you know, you, you asked too many questions. I think she, she,
9: Cooper made her nervous. Am I correct that the actress who played Josie actually requested to be written out? Because she yes. had like a movie on the way.
0: Either a movie on the way or she was just done with Twin Peaks. She just didn't want to be involved anymore. And I think she was in Oliver Stone's Heaven and Earth. I think that was being filmed. Huh, at the same time. Okay. Yeah, she was great in that movie.
14: You know, one of the things that popped out to me when I was reading through this is in the narrator section. At uh, the bottom of one of those pages, it says, Josie and Truman disappear. And I did a double take when I read that. I'm like, what? And then I realized, like, instead of Bob and, and the little man from the other place appearing, <laughs> Josie and Truman disappeared which is a totally different reading of that scene, I think. At least it was for me.
0: Yeah. It's almost like more like Cooper and the Giant when he's in the roadhouse, that he's watching Julie Cruz, and then the world disappears, and there's the giant kind of communicating, which I think would feel a little bit better. I mentioned this on the last show, but I still think there was a missed opportunity. Wyndham Earl should have killed Josie. The idea that there's just these random people getting killed, but to actually have somebody that we all knew from the first episode from the first scene of twin peaks actually kill off josie i think that would have brought in everybody a little closer it would have had more harry harry truman would have been more affected he would have wanted to go after wyndham i don't know i understand they wanted to finish off her storyline but at the same time boy i wish it could have been about a way to do that and just had her be a victim of wyndham It's not a bad idea. One, of those, yeah. one of
14: those needful things. I'm a huge Stephen King fan, so that old novel Needful Things where this guy comes in, sets up this little tinker shop and basically starts fooling with everyone's lives around them to produce the most amount of misery that he possibly could. I feel like that would have leaned in really hard and well into where the storyline went to. That idea of Wendy Merle is just out there. He's a farmer and he's farming misery and (laughs) uh, trauma. And he gets it all to the point where it's ready to be harvested. And he just chops the heads off of all these people that he's made miserable for a few weeks. And then Bob drinks Garmin, but pure Garmin Bosia. I feel like that, (laughs) they could have really ran with that. That would have been Uh. really something.
0: That
1: would have been something. Yeah, Ben, I I like that idea a lot because I think it it ups the ante. And uh, you know, Kenneth Welsh said he was he loved playing that character, Wyndham Earle, because it was like a Shakespearean villain. Hmm. And I think that would have been very Shakespearean to have, like you said, like Truman's Truman would have been so invested in, in Wyndham Earl and like to really show how evil Wyndham Earle is, and like her death by him would have been really incredible.
0: Yeah. It's always easy to go back and look at it. It's like, why didn't you do this? And I'm sure the writer's like, we're just trying to keep this show going. Yeah, like yeah. We're on to episode 24, which is Wounds and Scars. And I'll start again with Andy. What interests you about this episode? I would
9: say the costuming. <laughs> there are, There is, you know, not only from our uh, Kenneth Welch, but uh, the hat on Justice Wheeler, the glam tuxedo, on uh, squeaky at the end, it's, I think they uh, put the costume department through the works on this one.
0: Brian, I say every time there must be a costume shop in town because uh, it seems like as the season <laughs> goes on, there's more and more costumes, and they gotta be ready for Miss Twin Peaks. And I mean, yeah. gotta... <laughs> William Merle
15: is like the number one shopper. I mean, oh, no. he's always there. <laughs> Nobody had more fun filming
14: Twin Peaks than Kenneth Walsh. Yeah, that dude <laughs> was having a ball.
16: Bookhouse entrance night. Standing beside the door is Andy.
2: Agent Cooper, Hawk, the sheriff's gone off. He's broken every piece of furniture that's not nailed down and shot out the ceiling lights. I honestly don't know what to do. It's okay, Andy.
16: He is clearly frightened. Cooper and Hawk follow a trail of broken furniture. Truman sits in darkness, a bottle of Jack Daniels beside him, gun in hand.
11: Hello, Coop.
18: How's business? A little complicated at the moment. nice thing about the law, it doesn't breathe.
16: Truman eyes his gun.
18: You can't kill it. Harry, let's make this simple. Why don't you hand me that gun?
11: Don't think I've handed my gun over to anybody my entire life. This might be the time. You know something I've never done? I've never really left Twin Peaks. Ever. Never crossed the ocean. I was the one who stayed. Then Josie came to town. My life, my life was different. It was better. And now she's gone. Your
18: life belongs to you, Harry. Josie didn't take it with her. When I walked
11: in that room, and it looked like I might have to shoot her, I know she lied. I know she was evil. I looked into her eyes, watched the life drain out of them. She was so helpless. She needed me and there was nothing I could do."
16: With that, Truman completely unravels, knocking over the bottle.
11: It didn't have to end like that. She didn't have to die.
16: The gun's aim swings into wider, more dangerous circles. Cooper steps in, pulls Truman into a bear hug. Truman grabs onto him, finally allowing himself some comfort. Easy. The sheriff's arms extend despondently, the gun dangling from his hand. Hawk takes it.
11: There's so much I don't understand. We're all like that, Harry.
0: The whole fact that Truman is is recognizing that she wasn't perfect and that she had problems, I think was good. And I guess, I don't know if it was as clear in the show. I think in the show he was just so miserable, but to have these lines where he's kind of saying you know what and he's blinded but he realizes that you know she wasn't a good person i don't know if he'd go far as evil is if she seems sometimes she seems like a victim and sometimes she seemed like she did a lot of bad things but to call her evil maybe taking it too far correct she's in the gray area really
1: i like the part where he talks about how he never left twin peaks and he meets this woman who was international and and I mean you could kind of see like I mean, Josie's compelling for so many reasons, she's beautiful, all these things. You can kind of see how like somebody from a small town meets somebody who's so worldly. And uh, you can see like how that would that would transform him in so many ways. So I love that line that he has there.
14: Yeah, this is one of those moments where you get to see the limit of of Harry Truman. You know what what he's capable of, and this is his limit. This is what he's been pushed beyond his limit in this point. And that's where it's so important that he has a friendship with someone like, like Dale, who can pull him pull him over. You know, who can be that voice of wisdom, because Cooper's going to need that same voice himself very soon. Uh, mm. You know. So this idea of friendship being a connecting force that can help us get over those moments of our limitations. I think it's really powerful and it really would have shown a lot more of of Truman here if they would have kept this in.
0: And Courtney, what interests you about this episode?
1: Well, I love Annie Blackburn. Mm. So when she's introduced, um, I always get excited when she's introduced because I feel like it's kind of the, I love her character, I like her dynamic with Cooper, but I also feel like it's the beginning of the end, you know, when she's introduced. And, uh, and that scene where, um, you know, she meets Cooper and they're in uh, the Double R Diner. And then Wyndham Earl is like across the way. They, people don't realize he's there because he's in disguise. And I realize like Wyndham Earl is like always kind of in the background, like foreshadowing that he's like the third character of this relationship, kind of like with Caroline and, and Cooper too. And um, so I love that juxtaposition of Cooper and Annie meeting and having this really great dynamic and then windmills in the background. So you know, this is not going to go well. And
0: Josh, what about you? What interests you about this episode? So there were actually a few things that really jumped
14: out at me. You know, the first one was I noticed that during the scene with Annie in the diner, the music that was playing there—it really is an emotional cue inside of Twin Peaks. It tells you how to feel and kind of what what it's about. Music never ever lies to you, but when it's gone and the return, that's actually a deliberate absence. You know, I love the log lady's backstory. I think that you know when Mark Mark Frost was able to flush that out in the secret history of Twin Peaks. Was, was really cool. Actually, that may have been the final dossier. I can't remember which one. But I love that backstory and I love how connected that is to Carl Rod, for example, in that book. So hearing that was like really, really cool to, to know that they, ha- they were thinking that long ago. Everett McGill is so funny when he's uncomfortable which is the whole show, basically. Uh-huh. Got keep in mind, I the first time I ever came across Everett McGill was as the dickhead in um, Full in not Full Metal Jacket, but uh, Heartbreak Ridge with Clint Eastwood. So I'd watched him for years and hated him in that movie because he was so good as a, as a terrible guy. So to see him in this role was a little bit different. This is my favorite role, a uh, a quiet, you know, fussy man who is just put under duress. That's like my favorite thing in the world to watch in, in comedy or drama. So that was cool. I loved Ankian going full Shatner twice in this episode yes <laughs> <laughs> and he did it twice and it was he did a great job with it it made me laugh both times i also laughed when i the scene where mike is checking in with nadine into the to the hotel and he's wearing this jacket two sizes too large for him and i just thought like what would what would insurance manager mike have to say to this to this guy <laughs> what what would he say to him if he could meet him and go back to him and then the last thing was uh how funny dick tremaine was in the fashion show. Um, that is pure comedy. <laughs> coming oh, yeah. out with all them clothes, and he's like a plethora of plaid.
0: <laughs> it's just a really, really,
14: really funny performance. I didn't really appreciate the first time I watched it.
0: We're on to the next episode, episode twenty-five on the wings of love. Andy, do you want to share with us what
9: interests you about this episode? You know, I think Al Cave always, you know, comes to mind mm-hmm. uh here, and. You know, the lynch scene, obviously, is just, uh, you know, in the diners, complete all-timer. Oh, um, <laughs> uh, ben with the carrot, for sure, chomping <laughs> <for sure, laughs> on the carrot. I think beyond, the, the you know, it's just, you know, a little letter from James saying, goodbye. <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> And James
0: Marsh, I believe, he, he, I can't remember what movie, but he, he, I think he left because he, from the show, because he had movies. I don't remember if it was Gladiator or. can like win. Yeah.
9: And this is always like the turning point to me. What? Yeah. David, <laughs> David Lynch God? says, cut it out, put him in a goddamn suit, and we're going to start doing stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yep. Well, you brought up Owl Cave. So here's another like extended scene
4: Double R Diner Day. Annie stands in front of Booth with Cooper and Truman. Annie glances down at Cooper's napkin, where he has been doodling. What are you drawing? Cooper looks down at his napkin. He's doodling the tattoos on the log lady and Major Briggs.
18: Oh, nothing. A couple of tattoos.
4: Annie looks longer at the napkin. Funny. Looks like the rock's in Al Cave. She moves off. Cooper watches her go, a little moonstruck. Another look at the napkin. Then Cooper snaps back on the beam.
11: Owl Cave. What's Owl Cave? It's up near Pearl Lakes, old Indian territory. It's supposed to be sacred ground. We used to go there when we were kids.
4: Truman takes the napkin.
11: My god, it does.
18: It does look like it. Sounds like we better go there now.
0: What I thought was interesting about this is that uh, Leland talks about Pearl Lakes is that's where his grandparents are from. And I believe that's the same area in the secret
14: history where the Nez Perce, the native tribe that lived there, that actually had that, the jewel or whatever it was that became the ring, I believe it was. Oh, and that's mm-hmm. where that was kept at. It was kind of a sacred and terrible place like the Pet Cemetery.
1: Yeah, and this episode was uh, written by Harley Payton and Bob Ingalls and directed by Dwayne Dunham. So it feels like, okay, now we're, we're getting into Twin Peaks. We're getting into right. mythology We're you know, it definitely has a Mark Frost feel, but it's like those other powerhouses are, you know running this episode too so getting into that
14: i guess the big thing of taking those truman lines out of it is it kind of made it annie's point of view where she's like this is just the thing i know as opposed to like this no this is communal mythology we know about this everyone knows about this we used to go up there and drink beers and stare at it and it was really weird i don't know why they would have cut that out i feel like that would have been an aid to the story they were telling yeah. and not to the track them
0: I mean, a lot of times I sometimes think they have to cut things because of commercials. Like, they need to try to fit everything can and it's like, ah, oh, we can't fit this in, but
14: there were a few things of course that jumped out on this one too i actually do think that this is one of the best twin peaks episodes for the exact reason that Courtney just said we had the three probably you know powerhouse minds besides the two creators that just kind of converged on this episode and really turned in a nice mythology based episode now years later i would come to recognize these in the x-files as my favorite episodes of the show so mm. anytime they dealt with the mythology and the mechanics and the yes. the, the weirdness behind the story we're, we've been watching for so long i think that's where shows like this really shine a couple things that i that jumped out at me this eye, like the idea of the bonsai on the on the counter not only was it hilarious when Lynch screamed into it that was a funny scene but bonsai is also on the side table of the um, the room in the return where yep. sam and tracy get oh, yeah. so this You're... idea you know they call it i think the quote was it's the ultimate miniature For some reason, it really jumped out at me. I'm like, that's kind of interesting. It's like it's a miniature little world, kind of like what happens in season three. Earl had a suitcase, very similar to the one Mr. C has in the hotel room or motel room, I should say. I thought that was interesting. And then, um, as Andy said, that diner scene has to be one of the best scenes in all of Twin Peaks. Like with, with it's just a beautiful, beautiful four minutes uh, of television. Big fan of that scene. With Gordon Cole and
0: everybody, everything that's
14: happening. Yeah, uh, he, he falls in love and he can hear it for the first time. This is a beautiful, it's just yeah. a real,
9: really nice scene. Classic it, scene, yeah. Truman gets to flip uh, how long you've been in love with her, wine on him, and you know, He's always getting one up on Harry, and Harry finally gets one up on, oh, yes. on him.
0: Right. And Courtney, you mentioned the writers and the directors, but having maybe David Lynch on the set, I mean, he's the actor, he's not technically there, but to have co-creator of the show on set, he probably had times where he said, Oh, I want to do it this way, and what about doing this? And I'm sure he had his times where he could uh direct people even though he's not the director. Right. Oh right.
1: yeah. I mean, of course. And uh and just like, I mean, you, you've got to figure like if I were if I were on a crew or an actor, I would be definitely be upping my game if you were around, for sure. If you were Mark Ross were around, yeah. And I would say like my my what I take away from that episode. I mean, there's so much because it's 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 Like Josh said, it's a great episode. I love the humor in Twin Peaks, and I love the hangover cure that um, Cooper and Gordon Cole yes. mentioned. True. <laughs> And I think it's so brilliant. It makes me laugh every single time when they give off a list of things that you would never eat or drink if you had a hangover, unless you wanted to get rid of everything in your stomach. (laughs) I love that. I love the scene, the diner. And I I love, again, I'm an Annie Blackburn fan. So I love that scene at the end when she's ordering a drink and she's, you know, she's not innocent in some ways because she's had this like dark thing happen. But she's like, it knew in the world. And I love that dynamic with her and Cooper. She gets a rum and coke and then, or no, rum and tonic, I think it is. And then he um, comes up and they have this conversation about you know, her ranch in the world. And he loves to see the world through her eyes. I love that moment. I think it's mm. so sweet and builds yeah. that relationship.
0: That's a great scene. So I think we can move on to episode 26, Variations on Relevations. I guess we'll start with Andy again. What interests you about this episode? Well, I
9: do enjoy the uh, 1990s graphics of uh, Earl's map uh, <laughs> right there in the, uh, in the beginning. Another you know great Lynch scene in the diner. And uh, definitely remember the gazebo thing that sticks mm-hmm. out you know very heavily. But I'd have to say my number one would be the graphics that you see uh, during Major Briggs talking because we never really kind of left filming to do art like this, and really was uh, it just always stuck out. You know, the shadowy image—it's you know—it's not really sure what's going on there. That really is, I think, what sticks out the most.
0: And of course, Andy, you've worked on our graphics for Twitter and Facebook and stuff like that. So if anybody knows about graphics, it's you. I mean, that's your thing. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
5: Blue Pine Lodge Study Day. Harry Truman sits with Catherine and discusses Josie. If
11: there's anything you can tell me about her at all. Anything to help me understand.
5: For instance...
11: What did she want? Why did she do the things she did?
5: I'm asking myself a lot of the same questions.
11: I want to know. I want to believe she wasn't all bad. There was something good there. Decent.
5: I think early in her life, she must have learned the lesson that she could survive by being what other people wanted to see, showing them that. It was probably something she had no choice about. And I think that eventually became the largest truth in her life. In time, even she no longer knew who she truly was. She, I don't know quite how to say this, she lost her center. What was left of her private self, she may never have shown anyone.
11: So, the lies, all the stories.
5: Who knows? They may not have seemed untrue to her. What she needed to believe was always shifting to suit the moment. A ball of knots, knotted, tangled string. In spite of everything she tried to do to me and my family, I find it's curiously hard to hate her for it.
11: She was so beautiful.
14: Of course, Josie was her main nemesis, so it's kind of like... You know, asking Khan about Kirk in many ways. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a fan of the original scene they left in there. I thought that was kind of an odd pairing for him to go to her for any kind of consolence, as it was. Uh, but boy, is she is great in that scene, though. Captain, she was something.
0: <laughs> she cast with the shit out of him. That's right. It was like she probably doesn't know who she is because I pretty much destroyed her. <laughs> <laughs> you remember remember a couple days ago you came by yeah she was my personal maid and and you know she was pretty much a slave to me and and Truman's like oh are you all right it's like do you not realize that she's not in a good situation oh man (laughs) Courtney what do you think what interests you about this episode
1: you know a a lot and I'm gonna go back to Annie Blackburn and Cooper because I I love that scene when they're on the lake and um it's just such a beautifully shot scene and such a great moment and it's shot on malibu lake and and uh in Cal- southern california outside of los angeles and then again you know they're having this wonderful moment and in the background when we you know intruding on that moment and of course we find the the guy at the end um, sam Raimi's brother you know is killed in the gazebo yeah yep. um, and i yeah i just think that's a that's a great moment of of establishing this like beautiful lovely romantic scene and then windermerel you know it's like really foreshadowing like, everything that's to come, and it's, it's like the terrible things that are, that are to come with Annie and Cooper.
3: Lake, day, the small rowboat. Cooper pulls in the oars. They'll drift together.
12: I used to swim out here when I was a kid. Every summer. Two or three times a week.
18: I can understand why. It's beautiful.
12: I guess even then I felt a closer connection to nature than I did to people. I was kind of a weird kid. Really? How? That's what people used to say. I never had many friends. Norma was Miss Popularity. Seemed like she was always moving towards the world. I was always moving away from it. I lived in my head, mostly.
18: Not a bad neighborhood.
12: Well, there were some pretty strange neighbors. Boyfriends? No. No, I... well, I had one. High school? Senior year.
18: Anything to do with your going into the convent?
12: I'm sorry. Do you mind if we don't talk about it?
18: We can talk about whatever you like.
12: I want to come back to the world. I was so frightened for so long. Of everything. Of life. I thought I'd be safe there. Everybody here thought I was nuts. And when I think about it, it was such a weird 19th century thing to do. To think I could remove myself as if that could stop the noise in my head when the problem was me. It was always in me. It was always in me.
18: I understand.
12: Silence, prayer, it wasn't the religion. It could have been a Buddhist retreat. Walden Pond, a quiet room. But you sit in a room like that long enough, and you realize, I realized, that I was just hiding, and that running away from my fear didn't make the fear go away.
18: It made it stronger.
12: Yes. So, I had to face it. I had to face myself. And I have to do it here, where everything went so wrong.
3: Cooper takes her hand. She lets him hold it. He touches the scars on her wrists. She doesn't withdraw the hand. Looks at him.
18: I know how hopeless things can seem. I know the kind of dark tunnel you can fall into.
12: It happened before I went away. It happened... Because of that boy. I went away because of it. That's all you need to know.
18: Cooper nods. Annie, I uh, I had a similar experience. Not the same, similar. I'd like to help you in any way I can. Annie kisses Cooper.
12: I don't know you very well. No. I'm trying to learn how to trust my instincts.
18: What are they telling you?
12: Trust.
3: There's no hurry.
12: I think maybe there is. How so? I think I've got a lot of catching up to do.
3: Cooper and Annie in the distance upon the bright water. Cooper rose to shore. Annie laughs as he helps her out of the rowboat. They step toward the familiar gazebo, now stop, embrace, and kiss. Hidden in a tree, Wyndham Earl lowers his binoculars. He's watching every move.
0: And I don't know, maybe it was always there. But like, I think when I was younger, I didn't really realize, did that boy that she knew from high school sexually assault her?
1: Yeah, I see it differently now too because I knew that she, when I was watching when I was a teenager, I was like, Oh, she was in a bad relationship and, you yeah. know, and uh, like, like many of us might've been in high school. Right. Um, but now I'm like, Oh, what something terrible must've happened. You know, like there's, there's like a lot of unsaid, you know, backstory yeah. there that you can kind of fill in. So, yeah, I think there's, there was something bad that happened, which is another part of twin peaks, kind of like Laura's story too. Right. You know, it's like, this town is not so innocent as you think it is.
14: Yeah. I think there's definitely trauma there for sure. I mean, obviously she tried to kill herself over it she says it outright in that scene and then we see the wrists. and in some ways she's she's confronted death in a way that cooper never has yet you know annie has and i think you know that, by the way if you guys haven't read this amazing book called laura's ghost oh, speak I I peaks, that book. <laughs> written by a brilliant lady um i got really sensitive to this stuff reading that book like you, you see it all over the place in the return and I, it certainly jumped right off the page and right out of the scene that's actually in the show to me as well. I think there's a lot of trauma there. Um, this idea of how do you confront it? Can you ever get past it? You certainly can't change time. We learned that in Twin Peaks. Um, that doesn't ever work out the way you want it to. So you have to either move through the trauma or, or succumb to it. Mm. And uh, at this moment, Annie has moved past it as best she possibly could. So,
9: just mm. from a writing perspective, it makes sense, you know, she just popped up. You know, a lot of the audience would have been like, well, who's this new person? But the yeah. fact that she's a Twin Peaks resident that's coming back makes people, you know, the audience trust a bit more. And then thematically, it becomes more interesting because uh, Cooper essentially, you know, unifies bonds with Miss Twin Peaks. You know, it's kind of this, you know, final him getting completely, you know, stuck and caught into this, uh, into this town.
0: Cooper is saying to Annie, he says, you know, I had a similar experience, not the same, similar, and I wanna help you. But I thought that was a really polite and sweet way to say that like, I don't know what you've been through. I have but, my own issues, my own, maybe my own baggage and stuff. And I hope that maybe we can work through this and talk through it. And I thought that was a sweet way because sometimes we say, oh yeah, I know what you're going through. It's like, no, you don't. You have no idea what I'm going through, but at least you could say I'm, I'm there for you. And I don't know. I thought it, yeah. I don't think it was in the show, but it, it was it was a sweet thing from Cooper.
1: When he takes her hands and uh, looks at her risks and holds them, like it's just a like a really incredible moment because he's, you know, she's embarrassed. I mean, you can tell she's embarrassed by it. It's, it's like this dark thing that she doesn't want to talk about. And he's like, no, no, it's, it's okay. I'm, I can face this darkness with you. I've seen mm-hmm. some darkness too. Like you said, it's not the same, but I've seen it. And I just, I love that moment where they're both really honest and real. And he's actually looking at her scars and not like being, you know, afraid of it or, um, you know, just shying away from it at all.
0: And Josh mentioned your book. How's your book going? I mean, I, I think I feel like everybody in Twin Peaks should know Laura's Ghost book by now. But do you do you? This seems like a moment to plug it. Do you want to mention about your book and and how things have been with that?
1: Sure, sure. So uh, I have a book out named Laura's Ghost: Women Speak About Twin Peaks, and uh, it's centered around the character of Laura Palmer and how the women in the Twin Peaks community, fan community, have responded to her and what she means to them as this you know really important character from the show but also in talking about trauma and sexual assault and sexual abuse. And um, there, we do get into that in the book, but there's also some more lighthearted things too. And you get to know some of the women. Cheryl Lee, uh, I interviewed Cheryl Lee. I interviewed uh, Grace Sibrisky, uh Jennifer Lynch, and Sabrina Sutherland, sort of the, the people surrounding the core of the character of Laura Palmer. And um, 10% of the proceeds go to support Rain, the Rape, Abuse, Incest National Network. And if you'd like to buy the book, you can go to FayettevilleMafiaPress.com. It's also available for Kindle on Amazon. Nice. I don't think I re-
0: realized leading up to it that this really is like a community book. It really does. I mean, I feel like it includes a lot of people involved, in it, which I think is beautiful. I think, it, I think we're always stronger together when we're all here together, you know, supporting each other and stuff. And I really, yeah, I recommend everybody pick up your book. Let's support each other. Let's support writers. Also, we got Josh. Josh, you're you've been, you're been a writer. You've got your book, A Skeleton Key to Twin Peaks. How's that been? I mean, that, and that's something that you, you're donating profits to as well. Yeah, 100% of the profits from that
14: one. So I was able to, you know, over the course of a few years of writing it, actually build up a nice email list by kind of giving the book away in it's multiple iterations for free. Um, and then I was able to kind of sell enough on the first 48 hours that it paid for the printing of it, which then opened up global demand for unprinting. So I've made like 2500 bucks and given it all the way to both the David Lynch Foundation as well as the Krishnamurti Foundation. Uh, Mark Frost is a big Krishnamurti fan. So uh, I figured if I can do some good with uh, you know my own appreciation of this work, I'm going to do it. And uh, it's been a raving success as far as I'm concerned. I'm very happy with it.
0: That's awesome. That's available on
7: Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. And the print version is beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. you.
0: Yeah. And you both work so hard on these books and it's so wonderful that they're done and they're out and people can go and get them. And that is great.
1: Well, and I think it's just been great to have books during the pandemic too. You know, when you're stuck at home and I have a print copy of, um, of Josh's book and it's really beautiful. So, you know, if you can get a print copy and then also, Twin Peaks Unwraps book yes. came out last year. Wow, we've year. got a book too. Yeah, you got a book too, and it is so great. I mean, you have so many people from the fan community and from the show, um, and it's real. It's, it's such a joy to have that book, and I keep I go through it, you know, and read it, and um, it's just it's a wonderful journey.
14: Yeah, it's been exactly. something else incredible, incredible how you you are able to capture the best of this community and this this art you know there's nothing of the negative part of it we all know what the negative part of being yeah. a peak fan is like that's all been cut away and there's nothing but pure joy between those pages you guys just have been a tremendous job and and benefit for this community we're really appreciative of
0: thanks it. josh thank you thank I think you we'll, you know just doing the podcast with brian you and i i think we kind of I mean, we have blinders on and we don't see the negative i know it's out there but like we just kind of bring in the good people like all of you guys. I mean, that's, that's what I, we live for. We love just being part of the community and, and sharing great ideas, and it's, it's a really special thing.
10: Great Northern, bar area, night. Still wearing the cumbersome nose bandage, Dick Tremaine taps a wine glass with a knife, calling the wine-tasting party to order. A dozen or so people sit in the bar area, including Ben Horn, Andy, Lucy... Lana Budding, and a few of the models from the fashion show. Everyone has two wine glasses in front of them and a spit bucket. On the table in front of Dick are a number of wine bottles covered in bags.
13: Good evening, evening all. Welcome to our Onophiliac Soiree, another and a continuing series of public events sponsored by Horn Industries to benefit the Stop Ghostswood Development Movement. Oh no, what?
5: Something to do with wine.
13: When my good friend Ben Horn asked me how I'd like to contribute to the good fight, I said to myself, Dick, I said, you're a former sommelier. Why not try to bring a little culture to the proceedings? I replied, but of course, a wine tasting party. Uplift the general level of quality of life at the same time we're putting money into the fight to save our trees. Voila! I should, of course, mention that our wines this evening are all courtesy of the Great Northern's wine cellar. Thank you, Ben. And now, to the tasting. Lana, Lucy, if you'd help me pour, please.
10: Lana and Lucy jump up to help him pour out the contents of the first tasting. Dick flirts rather obviously with Lana, which Lucy can't fail to notice. She simmers as she pours.
13: Our first wines tonight are reds. There are some schools of thought who, of course, say there are no other wines but reds.
10: Andy raises his hand.
13: Yes, Andy? There are also white wines and sparkling wines. Thank you, Andy.
10: Lana and Lucy pour wine.
13: Very good, Lana. Don't pour so much, Lucy.
10: Lucy gives another cold look to Lana and Dick.
13: Now that we're all poured, let's first examine...
10: Dick shouts at Andy, who's drinking.
13: Don't taste it yet, Andy, for heaven's sake.
10: Andy has a mouthful of wine.
13: Spit it out!
10: Andy spits into the bucket.
13: Sorry. That's all right. That's what you're here for, to learn. Now to the wine. First, we must examine the nose of the wine to see what it can tell us about its bouquet. And we do that by...
5: By smelling?
13: Very good, Lana.
10: Another look from Lucy.
13: (laughs) He! Lift the glass thusly.
10: Dick lifts it to his nose, now talking into the glass.
13: And while vigorously rolling the wine around in the glass, we breathe deeply and fully.
10: Unbeknownst to him, the wine seeps into the gauze bandage on Tremaine's nose, and a crimson blotch starts to creep cellularly upwards.
13: That's good. Now, procedurally, we take our first taste. A big, Boisterous gulp and roll it energetically around our entire palate, trying to involve those hard to reach taste buds tucked away in the back of our tongues, remembering not to swallow.
10: The class takes a sip and rolls it around in their mouths.
13: Excellent. And now we spit.
10: As one, the group spits noisily into their buckets.
0: Andy's in it. Oh, boy. this
10: scene is so
0: funny you're in this what has your experience been doing these uh being one of the unseen players and stuff you you get to have these scripts and you go through them and you actually tell me what you want to play except for me i usually say will you please play andy again
9: (laughs) (laughs) i do i pull up the episodes i pull up to the if it's a modified scene i do play the scene and it's kind of like what they say the SNL people do is that all week when they got kind of to do a compression, they just put a cassette tape. Well, it used to be a cassette tape, and they would just listen to that voice, you know, kind of over and over again. And that's that's what I just had to do is just kind of pick up on little ticks here and there.
14: Nice, I like that. Oh my god, I love this scene so much that I think Dick Tremaine, and and uh, what's the actor's name he plays? And I totally lost his his name right out of my yeah,
0: brain. Uh, Ian McCann, Buchanan.
14: Yeah. so scott ryan interviewed him in his movie if you guys haven't seen that in a while it's worth going back to rewatch this scene because you know scott and you know him and they're having this conversation and he admits during this that he's never watched a scene of twin peaks <laughs> never went back to watch it at all oh. maybe he hasn't in the years since <laughs> knowing that and then going back and watching him act in this like he just gave it everything and he's almost making fun of it at the same time he's acting i feel like i feel like on some level this guy's like this is ridiculous but i'm gonna just really punch through this uh he's hilarious in the scene with the little dab of wine on his bandage <laughs> on his nose i mean come on that stuff's great yeah,
9: this and he's spitting out the wine
0: yeah yeah <laughs> the wine uh-huh I think the one thing with this deleted scene or extended scene is really that it explains why uh, Dick is involved. Like he's like kind of like, I want to bring some class to this and stuff like that. Like Ben told me about it and like, well, you should be doing a wine tasting and you should be using your wine <laughs> from the great Northern so we can do this. Not <laughs> so typical in some ways that like, he says he wants to do class, but it seems like he just wants something for himself that he can <laughs> show off or. Yeah.
1: yeah he kind of reminds me of like, you know, in small towns, there's the, there's the person who thinks they're above, you know, everybody else in the town. Like in any right. other city, he would just be another person, but he's the, the class, he works in the department store and you know, he's he's classy compared to everybody else. And he loves to like, lord that over everybody.
9: He is, it's great. As a spinoff, Dick Tremaine goes to the big city and finds he's <laughs> a uh, small fish in <laughs> a pump. Oh,
1: that'd
9: so be
0: great. <laughs> and Josh, what is something that interests you about this last episode here that we, we're gonna cover? So it, a, cu- a couple things. Well, a few things. So the first one was, I love the scene
14: with the mayor where Ben Horn comes in to pitch his case for the Pine Weasel uh, Stop Ghostwood project, which, you know, is is total crap. Uh, <laughs> but the mayor at one point is like, what are you selling? What is he selling? <laughs> it was like He just called him out on it. It was so good. Um, and then something that really jumped out to me, there's a scene where there's a hooded figure, and you guys are gonna have to help me out, this, this hooded figure comes back. But no face, hooded figure, and then it's, there's a white background behind them, and an owl comes flying out at the camera. So that immediately made me think of the white scene where Audrey comes out of it in the return. Mm. Like this idea of a placeholder for something inside of this white world right and the the idea that audrey could have been the image to fill that at some point is interesting mm-hmm. to me do they bring that character back do you guys know it's been a long time since i've seen the show
0: they don't bring the character no. back and to me that character is what does Hawk say to cooper about the black lodge that you know you'll face the dweller on the threshold right yeah but when we get to episode 29 the last episode of season two i think cooper was supposed to meet this guy like so yeah Lynch just scraps it all. like twenty minutes of the show, he just scraps, and there's all this stuff where Cooper runs into people. And I think that's what he would have faced. It, it was was, I believe, this hooded figure. But yeah, he never and shows that up. happens that comes back in the episode that Cooper wakes
14: up inside of, of the hospital. So like that's interesting. it's really interesting me. I'm not saying they planned it. I don't think they did. But as a viewer, just dealing with what's on the screen and trying to make connections between these things that you know, have no logistical connections, they probably didn't have intentional connections. but, they do have mythological connections. They're there. We have to deal with them. So I like that idea of a through line that started way back in season two that we can kind of pull out to to what happens in, in the return. That was really interesting to me. Yeah. And then the um, the Annie Blackburn stuff, Courtney, to go back to that, I think she's such an important character. Uh, you know, really, she wasn't in the show very long, all things considered. It's what, seven or eight episodes, maybe six or seven episodes. So that's not a lot of time for to develop a character and have them uh provide a gateway for for cooper uh, i think he really did change as a result of coming in contact with Annie. and mm. that scene with john justice wheeler where they're in front of the fire and and uh they have this conversation about love there was a lot that was revealed in that scene that was actually a really important scene mm. this idea of two men who don't know each other uh both at the top of their game in their worlds uh completely undone by their love they have for another person mm. um, I think it was a really beautiful moment. I, I'm a fan yes. of that scene quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. definitely.
9: Real quick, back to the hood figure and the owl. The last uh, moment is that fire explosion, which then you'll start seeing in the finale. But then Lynch uses it really heavy in uh, *Wild at Heart*. Hmm. Oh, that's true. That just great. A burst of fire oh, yeah. explosion. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Well, that pretty much
0: covers, I think, the, these episodes. And I I was impressed, we, we get it within the hour, we get, on, <laughs> we, we used to go through every scene and I think it's more fun, I think, just to hear what you guys have to say about, what interests you about these episodes is really something. I got to say, uh, Josh, I really love Diane episode that you guys covered on your podcast with John. Game, Horn. Yeah. You, you're, you guys are on top of your, your oh. game. I'm really enjoying t- You gotta, you gotta share more. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta promote your podcast. Tell us more about this. Yeah. It's a, you know, I started off as just a conversation between, uh, John Thorne and
14: myself, and I try to leave as much space in there as possible to let you know John finish you know his entire thought, which can sometimes you know take a, take a little bit to get out. But once it's out, guy just thinks in, in such fascinating ways about Twin Peaks, I mean he really does think about it. A lot, and his, his thoughts are, are very deep and compelling. So he kind of draws draws me in, and every you know six or five weeks or six weeks, we'll be like, hey, are you ready to talk again? It's just a uh, it's just a great conversation. Uh, I think it gives John a very nice room within which to to really flex his, his muscles. Um, he writes a lot, and I think that's pretty stressful on him. So having a place where you can just come and talk, um, and I and I, you know we have different views of Twin Peaks, just like we all do. Uh, but at the end of the day we can come together emotionally and agree that, you know, this is still a work of art that brings us together, not tears us apart. So,
0: And Josh, don't sell yourself yeah. short. Oh, yeah. uh, in Our House Now podcast, you really bring it as well. I mean, the both of you guys are a great uh, collaboration, in, and I think it's really interesting. It's, it's definitely the top Twin Peaks podcast that I listen oh, to right now. It's look so at the company.
14: Where it's, so it's so good.
0: It's so good. You're very kind. Thank you yes. Well, that's awesome so i guess we should go around and just like if you want to share how how people can uh, follow you and you guys can plug your stuff again and and we'll start with andy
9: oh just uh a b u d d a h on twitter i did help the guys out with uh, some podcast art if you need some help uh with that type of thing you can certainly send me a note and uh you know with everything wrapping up just want to reiterate Everything I have said about the community, we've seen where fandom communities can get very toxic. And for a property like this that is so obtuse that there's no one right answer, the fact that uh, everyone has been so good to each other uh, is really awesome.
0: Yeah. Andy, I know I'm sure we've said you before, but thank you so much for all your support and that yes, logo. And the you. one that we're talking about is that original Cooper and the uh, Chevron uh, design. I have the shirt. And the yeah. shirt, yeah, the shirt. Yeah. that's so cool. And you know, that originally design, I think Brian and I had like very, very few things we said to you and you really just came up with it all on your own. And I remember seeing that. It's like, wow, that's exactly what we want. I mean, unwrapping Twin Peak. You've seen that. I think if people are need help, I mean, Andy's out there. You should contact him about other things if, if you need yeah. help. And a little known, little, little known
15: fact, when Andy sent us that logo, I was like, well, I guess we've got to do a podcast now. Because we have a logo, but so that was it. That was it. I'm like, well, I, there's no turning back now. Oh, no.
14: <laughs> Andy, what else do you like to draw about? What other shows do you love?
9: Shows? Uh, like I said, Buffy. Um, Lost. Uh, you know, a lot of the, you know, the big dramas there. And then for silly stuff uh, in college, uh, Space Ghost, Coast to Coast was a really interesting one. The way that they would just take old CNN interviews initially and chop them up. And those early days of adult swim where it was really kind of gorilla. That was, that was a lot of cool stuff. Mm.
0: And
1: Courtney, how can people follow you and
0: get your book?
1: Uh, Follow me on Twitter at Courtney Cal. It's spelled C-O-U-R-T-E-N-A-Y-C-A-L. And uh, you can uh, get my book at Ghost at FayettevilleMafiaPress.com. I'm also uh, one of the editors of the Blue Rose Magazine, bluerosemag.com. We're still producing magazines. So if you're interested in Twin Peaks and David Lynch, Mark Frost, follow us and um, subscribe.
0: Josh? I'm on
14: uh, Twitter and Instagram at Joshua Minton. And um, you can find my Twin Peaks book at Amazon. You can find it on my website, jbmintonrider.com. I'm writing a new book on an English show called This is England Right Now. Uh, you can't watch it here in the United States. You can only watch the, first, the the movie in the first season, but there are two seasons unavailable. I had to buy a Region 2 DVD player to even get it. But um, I've, I fell in love with this show a few years ago, and um, it has uh, really pushed me in a way that I haven't felt since I started writing about Twin Peaks. So I think uh, I think folks over here in America are really going to like this show when they get a hold of it. So,
0: Can you give like the that. elevator pitch of what this show
14: is? Yeah, it's a show about, it it takes place in the 1980s, It's a show about uh, white skinheads in England who are suffering Mm -hmm. under Margaret Thatcher's rule. Um, And it's a show about poverty and sexual abuse Mm -hmm. and the marginalization of people and just the cycle of violence. A lot of things very, very similar to Twin Peaks, uh, where, you know, Twin Peaks might kind of dissolve that in mystery and music. Uh, This is England kind of punches you in the face with it. So in some ways it's refreshing. Uh, In others, it's much harder to deal with, so tough
0: stuff yeah it's funny when you said the title as it oh it's a comedy right <laughs>
14: <It's definitely> not, <laughs> it's not a comedy. there are funny things in it but it's definitely not a comedy
0: uh, and again i mentioned you know you should in our house now podcast with john thorne you should yes. definitely check that out that should be Thank subscribed you. you should be because i don't know i don't always know when it's going to come out but i know that if i subscribe i'll get it whenever whenever you guys have a new show out that's right. Yeah, we'll we'll do a new episode here in the next few weeks. We got we got a couple of ideas.
14: These these pop up, and we'll yeah. just text each other and say, "Hey, you thought of a new one?" And off we go.
0: And I, I and and I think that you know this is helping John to probably write some new stuff. Hoping- I think so. Yeah, yeah. I do. It's yeah. like therapy
14: in a way, right? Yeah.
0: Well, thank you, everyone. This has been great. Thanks, thank
14: you, Ben. Thank you,
15: Thank you.
0: Thank you. Cool. And-
15: Thank you, guys. And if you have a comment, question, or theory, give us an email at twinpeaksunwrapped@gmail.com. Like us on the old Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at TwinPeaksUnwrap. Give us a five-star review on iTunes. Subscribe to us, and we'll be back in a week or two. Uh,
3: Pursuitberry is actually a stage
13: direction, some of you may know from The Winter's Tale, played by Shakespeare. Act 3, Scene 3, Exit, Pursued by a Bear, is what Shakespeare wrote, and an actor is chased off stage, and he actually makes an untimely end by the bear, we will talk about that. Anyway, um, this is what we're having tonight, This, this is the 2015 My Latest Vintage, it's a combination of Cabernet and Merlot, it's a beautiful blend, I think it's one of the best, perhaps the best I've made to date. Um, we're enjoying it now with this steak, which I think it pairs so beautifully. Um, a great example of what Washington, Washington can do with Cabin Merlot. so
12: here we go.
13: Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.